Stand by for Wyoming Hooking and Hunting Outdoors with your host, Drew Kirby. Yeehaw! Okay, okay. Holy cow! May I have your attention, please? Hey, this is Luke Holmes. I am Morgan Wallen. I'm Riley Green. I'm Travis Denning. Hey, I'm Aaron Lewis. Hey, it's Luke Bryan. I'm Tim McGraw. What's up? This is Ian Munsick. Ah, uh, this is Craig Morgan. And you're listening to Wyoming Hooking and Hunting Outdoors. My Country 95.5. Welcome in on this fine day. We do appreciate you listening. If you've missed any of our shows and want to go back and review them, you can do that on demand at the My Country 95.5 app, 24 hours a day. Big show today, a lot of ice fishing talk, and the hunting season application process begins. We'll talk more with Janet and Brian from Wyoming Game and Fish Department. Let's get into it now. My Country 95.5, Wyoming Hooking and Hunting Outdoors with Drew Kirby. If you have a question, want to make a comment, or have an idea for a show topic, message us on the My Country mobile app. My Country 95.5, Wyoming Hooking and Hunting Outdoors on My Country 95.5. Welcome into Wyoming Hooking and Hunting Outdoors. Of course, as we do every week, we chat with our friends at Wyoming Game and Fish Department, Brian Olson and Janet Millick. And Janet, this has been a very question-oriented week this week as uh, hunting seasons and hunting licenses can now be applied for. And, you know, that's why you guys are part of this show is you like to answer these questions. That's right. No, we appreciate all the questions that are coming in from the public. And and it sounds like this was quite a question frenzy week this last week. And so we're happy to answer whatever is needed. The main questions were about were um, the hunting license application period, which... Uh, we are in that period at this point. We are, and sometimes this always throws our Wyoming residents into a bit of a frenzy trying to get ready. But a lot of our emails that are going out right now are to remind our non-resident elk hunters and our spring wild turkey participants to make sure that they're getting their applications in. Those are the only two, um, along with the super tag, if people choose to participate in that, those are the only applications that are looking at a deadline here coming up January 31st. You can uh, file for your license, apply for your license anytime up until May 31st, right? Right. That is our big deadline that comes up for our big species that most people hunt, deer, antelope and resident elk but our our some of our coveted licenses have a different deadline because we want to make sure everyone's staying on their toes throughout the entire spring season bighorn sheep moose and mountain goat application deadlines are april 17th which that's a random date that that's kind of what we said when we looked up that date this year we were like okay it's kind of an important date though because april 17th is the first day of the commission meeting, um, you know, where we set the seasons. Um, and like I say, a lot of times they, that first day is when they do set the season. So um, April 17th, not only the day that you put in for a mountain goat, a sheep, or um, moose, but it's also the last day that you could move or change your hunt area. So let's say that, you know, the the quota for the number of licenses available in area one is much less than it was year before. So your chance of drawing might be a little bit less and you want to put in for another area. 
that day would be the deadline that you could change your hunt area in your application online to. How far in advance, since they don't set the seasons until the 17th or so, uh, how far in advance will people kind of have an idea of what it's looking like? Are there like prelim numbers that you go off of? Yeah, we have prelim number the numbers that are in the, the computer right now. If you're up to the hunt planner online, you can go and look at, um, you know, the starting date and the ending date from last year. And really, if you think about it, um, Drew, the hunting seasons aren't sent until April because it really bases a lot on the data that we collect during the fall hunting season, you know, the, the harvest success rates and stuff like that, the survey results, but also the winter. You know, a lot of places in the state right now, the winter is pretty tough, and we might have to reduce numbers of um, especially antelope and probably deer in some areas based on winter conditions and losing some critters. So that's why we try to wait you know, until April when winter is usually about over um, to help us with those quotas uh, for setting seasons. So, Brian, a couple of years ago, there was a, a freak snowstorm that caused havoc on a lot of the animals and the animal numbers. If something like that happens, will that impact the numbers again? And then people can go and change until May 31st on their, their license? Well, certainly that can happen. You know, we don't want that to happen, but it certainly can. And we would, you know, at least pull those out and let people know, even the people that probably put in for that. It's a good opportunity to send them a note or an email saying, hey, just to let you know what the quota is, um, been, we don't have a quota anymore, like a DOFON licenses. Um, we don't have any more DOFON licenses for that area that you applied for. It'd be a good idea for you to select another area or withdraw your license. You know, we try to do that, you know, um, beforehand. But, you know, Mother Nature can slap that snow on us anytime during the during the spring and, and, uh, and early summer months type of thing. But Drew, I also like to mention that um, while my whole life I've hoped that I'm not a procrastinator, I am the one logging in on May 31st to actually do the applications. And at that time, everything that's in there is pretty much final. And so people don't need to worry about the things that we're talking about now. Um, we're, we're speaking to those folks that are, you know, up early, ready, raring to go. They're doing their, um, odds research and they're, they're getting in. So I, I mentioned that I had a couple of questions this week about the, the planner and about the date. And one guy also asked me, does it help my chances if I put my application in in January compared to those in May? Yeah, now at that point, I would not be the queen of procrastination. I would be putting in on, on January 3rd when it first opened. But no, it does not change your odds at any time. So um, as you are well aware, Drew, everything is now online. And the fun that that brings to everyone um you know, what if you have technical difficulties? What if you can't remember your password? What if, you know, your internet is down? So, you know, give it to yourself, you know, a couple of weeks time never hurts. One of the things that does come up, Drew, sometimes from mistakes is if you put in as a party. So if you apply earlier, you know, in the process, then if you make a mistake, you have the time to change that and to get it correct. So that can happen. Another great thing, the problem, I guess, that Wyoming has is there are so many species that you're able to hunt. You're able to go out and do so many, and maybe you want to do an antelope, a deer, and, and an elk hunt. But, you know, you maybe don't have the money to pay for all three, but you put in the application. Do you have to pay up front, or do you pay once you're selected? 
It goes on your credit card right away. So it actually does go on your credit card. Then if you don't draw like your envelope license, that is put back on your credit card after the drawing, which is, you know, the middle of June. So it's actually going to be taken out of your, your credit card, but then put back in refunded if you don't draw. Oh, man, and that could uh, cause some major problems. So, all right, Brian, Janet, thank you so much for the info here. Go ahead, start looking into it. Maybe uh, get over to wgfd.wild.gov, go to the Hunt Planner. You can go to the application section and find out uh, kind of what you're working with at this point and then get the process started. We're coming back with a hunter safety question. Hang tight. Heading to Wyoming, hooking and hunting outdoors. My country, 95.5. All right, we are back. The show is on demand if you've missed any of our shows. We've done, this is our third season, so we've got quite a few episodes up that you can listen to anytime on demand at the My Country 95.5 app. Janet Bryan from uh, Wyoming Game and Fish Department with us still. And one of the uh, the questions that, again, that I got this week, Janet said this early, that it was a very question-heavy week. But uh, it was about hunter safety and, and the hunter safety courses. Uh, a mom, her name was Allison, was wondering about her 15-year-old son, if he had to have the hunter safety course before he could apply for a hunting license or to go buy a fishing license. Allison, the answer to your question is? Absolutely not. Yes, get out there, do some fishing. No hunter safety needed for fishing, of course, and not to apply for any of the licenses. You still have plenty of time to get certified before you go hunting. Um, January, February, March, April, May are fantastic times to take a hunter education course. And this is a great thing for families to do. If you have younger kids and maybe you don't have one yourself, uh, it's families are welcome to come to those. Oh, absolutely. And, and you know, I think oftentimes, um, like you're saying, Drew, it sparks a lot of great conversation. Um, you know, hunting ethics is always something that we really talk about and everybody grows up with different ethics. Everybody has different experiences. And so, so talking through those things as a family and recognizing like, oh, geez, I may or may not want to take that long distance shot. I personally am not comfortable with it. Um, or vice versa. So being able to have those conversations as a family and, and being the mentor to your kids is, is pretty critical in these situations. Now, it's very encouraged for you to go out and take one of these classes as we've been talking. But if you can't get out there and get one of these courses, it doesn't mean that you can't hunt on your license. There's the Hunter Mentor Program. And, Brian, tell me a little bit about that. So the Hunter Mentor Program is if you are at the last minute in September, you want to go hunting the next day. And, of course, you don't have a hunter safety card. You can actually go with somebody that already has taken hunter safety and has hunter safety card and a license and you can go with them as long as they are your mentor and they can go onto our website and sign up as a mentor and have that um, form just to, you know, fill it out and print out. They'll have that with them in the field and there's no age restriction. So if you're 45 years old and you have to have a hunter safety class in Wyoming, a hunter safety card in the field, you can go with somebody that is you know, already has one and become that person could be your mentor. So it's not necessarily just for kids. It's for anybody that lives in Wyoming that is required to have a hunter safety card. So anybody born after 1965 
has to have hunter safety card in Wyoming. So it's yeah. uh, another little bit of confusion, but it, it is is so easy to get it all ironed out. It's one of those things where another thing that's online, you know, to sign up for a hunter safety class and all that kind of stuff. If you guys have problems with that, we do have a lot of people that call about that too, is call our gals at the front desk um, at any one of our Game of Fish office offices, and they can help you through the, the process of signing your your child or your family members up for a hunter safety class. And like say in Casper, we have them pretty continuously for the next four or five months in a row. So there's a lot of classes to sign up for. And if there's one that doesn't, you can't get into, you can always call us up and we can see if there, we can uh, find room for you in another class or in that class by calling the instructor. How long do these classes take? Is this something you can be done in a couple of days or day? Yeah. Mo- the ones in Casper, a lot of them are two days, you know, they'll start on a Friday night and they'll finish on a Saturday. Um, you know, so they're weekend stuff. Um, some of the smaller communities will do them like over a couple weeks span, you know, like a couple nights each week. And then they'll have like the test on a Saturday. It really depends on the instructor. Um, you know, they have to a minimum requirement. I think it's like 12 hours. Is that right? I think it's 12 hours of uh, contact time, um, with the students. So in it, they're good courses, not only from kids, but they're also good for adults. Um, reminders of hunter, you know, a lot of hunting stuff, but it's mostly, you know, gun safety and ethics and things like that, which is extremely important for everybody to have. So get over to wgfd.wild.gov, find out about those classes and where you can get in on them. Brian, Janet, thank you again for all the insight. We'll talk to you guys again next week. Brian Woodward from Rocky Mountain Discount Sports coming up. Wild Sports and Brian, it's, uh, well, it's full on winter now and there's lots of outdoor activities that you can still go and do and you guys have a good supply of uh, equipment. Yeah, you know, right now, uh, probably the most popular things to do would be take the kids out and do a little ice fishing. And then, uh, we're getting a lot of people that are just heading up the mountain to do some snowshoeing. So, so you mentioned the ice fishing and I know that, uh, uh, Boyson is this weekend and the hog derby is coming up in a couple of weeks and people still have time to, to get the, the, the right equipment for mm-hmm. what they need. And if you're going to go out three or four guys and you guys have the, the ice huts and, and uh, all the equipment you're going to need to have a good day on the ice. Yeah, and it's kind of nice when you partner up with some buddies, you know, maybe one guy's got a nice ice hut and maybe somebody else has a nice auger, you know, and uh, you just kind of buddy the buddy system and one guy's drilling holes, one guy's kind of setting up camp and uh, rigging lines and setting them out. And, uh, yeah, it can be it can be a great time. So uh, you, you mentioned augers, and uh, augers, that's an important thing to do when you're ice fishing unless you want to use an axe <laughs> or an ice pick. Good so, luck. <laughs> what's the, the best? way to go about the augers i mean is it a power one or is it a, a hand auger you know the um the the powered augers you know especially for our conditions i mean we've got some some areas that you can go over to boysen and you know run into 20 to 30 inches of ice you know pretty commonly that time this time of year so uh you know trying to chisel it out with a uh, an axe or a chainsaw or something pretty pretty difficult but uh you know anymore the um there's a lot of diff- technologies kind of taking taking over on the uh, augers it's them itself uh you know it used to be just the old uh, two-stroke uh, jiffy, which you know, super reliable and always started. Um, but now you know they've gone to propane augers. They've got uh, forty-volt lithium augers. Um, they've got propane augers. So there's a lot of different options now. It's it's interesting you mentioned the the propane. Uh, so if you have a propane auger, you got to have a propane tank. 
But if you have one of the small heaters, the the buddy heaters, mm-hmm. uh, you got to have those Coleman little propane. And I know you guys have a lot of those in, in stock. Yeah, you know those uh, Mister Buddy heaters. Just take those little uh, one pound, uh, you know Coleman cylinders. Uh, so that's real popular, and that's that's kind of just fit what fits right on those uh, propane augers. So um, I think you know any more the uh, on the auger side of things the. Uh, uh, just the uh, shaft uh, that uh, hooks to a drill. Uh, so you just take your power drill, you know, you get your old Milwaukee or Makita type stuff, and it'll just attach right to your drill bit. So it keeps it nice and lightweight, flexible to, to carry, and uh, good reliability. Now, if you have one of the uh, the old tanks that are a little bit heavier, having a sled to pull that behind is a pretty good idea, and you, know, you can get that here too. Yeah, we've got uh, sleds, and then uh, this year they actually came out with a wheel kit that will actually fit on those sleds. So, you know, buy the sled for ice fishing, but then you can use that as a game cart to get your uh, big game out in the fall. Two for the price of Two one. Two for one. <laughs> Man, that's a pretty good bargain and a, and a great deal. You're going to find stuff that like that in here. And, of course, you would staying warm is something you want to do. And uh, I know sitting on the ice and ice fishing gets cold, and especially if you don't have a heater, but... Uh, you guys have lots of uh, of heavy duty clothing and even sleeping bags that you could uh, cozy up in your little pit. Yeah, everybody uh, you know takes their ice fishing to different levels, and uh, we've sold some uh, pretty big ice huts that'll actually put uh, a couple guys with cots in there. So they're you know putting their cots in there, drilling some holes, and they're just sitting there jigging throughout the night. Now that's uh, that's that's dedication. If you're gonna <laughs> sleep out on the ice like that, well, that's, you know the, the evening bites, are, you know, morning and evenings are usually the best bites out there. So you know a lot of guys won't even get you know out to the lake until three, four o'clock in the afternoon. And, and fish for the first hour or two into dark. So Get out here, check it out. Make sure you have all your licenses and, and all your permits and, and everything you need uh, to be out and about. And stop in and see them. Rocky Mountain Discount Sports. Gets me in a good mood. And hunting outdoors. My country, 95.5. So, Brian, we were just talking a little bit ago that uh, ice fishing is here and it's a great time to get out and enjoy what we have here. It's not bitterly cold. You could probably go out with, uh, you know, a good heavy jacket and yes. a hat and, and fish. But, you know, how's the fishing going? I know you've heard some people are having good times and some are having bad. Talked to a couple of people that went to Boys and Ocean Lake both last uh, couple of weeks, and uh, they got hammered with uh, quite a bit of snow. So uh, it was a little bit of a challenge to get into some portions of the lake. And then once they got on the lake, getting around the lake was tough so you couldn't just take a side by side in a lot of cases because you had you know 8 10 12 inches of snow and sometimes even more you know the guys that kind of went during the day they you know one or two trout you know nothing too special but uh the guys that uh put some time in in the early mornings or late late evenings um talked to a couple guys that really did really well with i mean pretty much a, a array of species you know they got into some ling and some catfish a few walleye some crappie uh a couple guys said they got into some perch one day. So I think uh, Ocean Lake, Boys and Lake, still uh, feasible. And then the guys that are fishing locally around Pathfinder, uh, still still finding some, some small fish. Uh, haven't heard of too many big fish, uh, with the exception of trout. And uh, some of the trout that they're catching are, have just been some dandies. Yeah. Have you heard anything about Glendo? I know that you know that's usually pretty good fish in there. Yeah, you know, um, I've, I've seen some, some posts on Facebook, talked to a few people. 
Um, kind of same thing, hit or miss. Different parts of the lake seem to be doing a little bit better than others. Uh, guys that uh, are familiar with some of the structure at you know with with the certain water levels, mm-hmm. uh, they're doing okay. So. I think if a guy, you know, gets on and uh, moves around a little bit and doesn't just stay committed to one one spot, one hole, uh, I think they're going to find some some good quality fish. So when you're fishing in a situation like that, uh, do you because the fish are slower moving at this point because the metabolism and everything's a little little different, little off? Are they still going to be in the general areas where you're seeing them during this the summertime, or are they going to go deeper or spread out a little further? You know, I think those fish, you know, kind of hold just based on structure. So, I mean, if you were fishing a rock pile that was in 20 foot of water in the in the spring and or when the water was the same level anyways that rock pile is probably still going to be productive um you don't have the forage base you know uh, a lot of the water drops out of those bays like airport bay and uh, muddy bay so you're not fishing you know weeds you're, you're looking more for structure drop-offs um you know big big rocks big rock piles um that kind of stuff when someone's normally a walleye fisherman and they go to somewhere like Boysen where perch is on the menu, is there a big learning curve to, you know, realize what those perch are going to if you're used to the walleye bite? Man, fish or fish. I mean, you find them where you find them. It's, it's just so, so random sometimes. And, you know, you just have to be a little more, uh, diversified and versatile and, and, you know, don't be afraid to, especially if you're fishing Boysen or even Glendo, don't be afraid to get out there in that 40 and 50 foot of water. Um, that's a lot of times where you'll find those perch and crappie. Uh, a lot of times you find some of the smaller walleyes out in that deeper water. But the more aggressive, bigger fish, I mean, I tend to catch most of those in, in a little bit shallower water. Switching real quick to bird hunting, have you had good results this last couple of weeks and are you hearing good things? Yeah, um, duck populations aren't, don't seem to be very good anyways. I mean, I, I, from, from what I've seen, lots, lots of golden eyes on, on the river. Um, the guys down towards Wheatland are, um, seeing quite a few mallards in the area down there. Uh, I think they've got a little bit more farmland and, and cornfields that are holding holding those birds and they've got quite a bit of open water with the power plant down there goose populations seem to be good everywhere we have seen uh, some signs of some of the bird flu the avian flu guys down in the wheatland area are, are saying that uh, the little res you know that the game and fish was down there last week and they were you know hundreds of birds that were uh, dying so um I guess you, know, you still have to be kind of cautious with that kind of stuff. and No matter what it is, if it's fishing or hunting, it's it's a great time to get out there because before you know it, you'll be cleaning up that boat and ready to head out. Yeah, we're getting close. You know, uh, for us, you know, the, the waterfowl season is going to close uh, in this area around February 12th. Uh, we've still got some upland, you know, you can go out to the bird farm and, and uh, shoot pheasants up and through, gosh, I think end of April or something to that effect. But uh, it's a good time at that point to put all the, the winter toys away and kind of, like I said, get the get the boat prepped, cleaned up, get some tackle organized, figure out what you lost last year and get in here and get it restocked. We're approaching that dead zone, Brian. Are you looking at the boat thinking, okay, this year I'm going to try something different. I'm going to try a different method or or logic in your fishing. 
in terms of like presentation and stuff, I'm, I try not to get uh, too far fetched. You know, I mean, uh, sticking to basics. You know, really, really does work um, for a lot for a lot of our fishing applications. Um, definitely, kind of looking at some different reservoirs and maybe some different tournaments across the state. Um, some different events that are going on. Maybe some different bodies of water that we might want to try out this year. Uh, there's there's a lot of great destination fisheries across the U.S. and a lot of them aren't too far away. You know, whether it's um, the Missouri river or devil's lake um you know those are all seven to eight ten hour drive uh, a guy can burn a day go fish for a couple and you know take a nice long four-day weekend uh, no matter what you do this year if you're going to go on adventures make sure you stop in here to rocky mountain discount sports helming hooking and hunting outdoors on my country 95.5 Welcome back, and we always like to have guests on the show, and uh, one guy that we've had on the show quite often over the last couple of years is Jim Crowley. Jim Crowley and I go way back uh, doing radio, and uh, Jim's been a lifelong fisherman. As a matter of fact, I believe is uh, your dad had you in the boat when you were, what, like five or three? Three. My, my dad literally had me in the boat at three, so mm, over 50 years now. Oh, man. I'm glad I'm not getting as old as you. <laughs> yeah, thank God for you. Time has stood still. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Jim, one of the great things about you, and and you've always been so kind to me. If I've had any questions, you've uh, you've answered them with with no beef. Uh, you fish for a long time, and now ice fishing is really something that's uh, important to you as well. Yeah, you know, we, we just actually got done filming the uh, the first episode for 2023 for my show on Wired to Fish TV, and it was up in La Crosse, and we were perch fishing. As you know, a lot of lakes I fish in the Midwest here, we're fishing relatively deeper. I, uh, next month, I'm actually going to Minnesota to film a show on whitefish, and we'll be ice fishing for whitefish in 80 to 90 feet of water, which is which is going to be a really unique situation because I've never done that before, so I'm going with somebody who's really good at it. I'm actually in the process of building uh, an ice fishing rod now for whitefish. To go completely the other way on that, when we were in La Crosse, I was fishing anywhere from two to four foot of water. So, you know, you would drop the ice jig just right below the ice and probably a foot and a half, two foot of water. And you'd see these fish just come screaming in your graph. You could just see them on the, you know, on the mega live and here they come and you'd set the hook and pull them out of the hole because <laughs> so, it was so shallow, you know, and, you know, we're, we're just go- doing extremes We're we're going really shallow and then we're going really deep. So there's going to be it's some pretty cool stuff happening, some new situations. When you go into a situation like that, when you're shallow this time, and you're deep that time, what kind of equipment are you taking? Are you taking something specific for each? When we were fishing, I actually, and I build all my own rods, so, but it's only 22 inches long, okay? And it doesn't have a real long handle on the back. And the reason for that is because I have complete control over this little rod right here. And it's, I can sit basically directly over that hole in shallow water. And sometimes the water was so shallow, you could look down in the hole and you could see the fish coming in. It was really, it was really pretty strange. So when you do go with that rod set up, you know, I mean, if you're summer fishing, you're mm-hmm. fishing on what a seven foot rod, something like that. How yeah. do you determine what you're going to use when you're using a rod the size of an ice fishing rod? Basically, to me, everything is based on water clarity. And I know that in the, in the wintertime, that's why ice fishing is going to be so much fun because when you can get out, fish are grouped up. A majority of time in the winter time, if they were in reservoirs, a lot of times they're in the same place as they are in the summer and they group up. And so if I'm fishing for crappies or bluegills like that, I know also that their metabolism is not very high. So I'm going to use a lot smaller lures, a lot lighter line, because in a lot of cases, the, the water can be relatively clear. 
And on top of that, when fish are, their body temperature is exactly the same as that of the water they swim around in. So in 30 something degree water or less, they're, although they still put up a fight, it's usually nothing compared to what it would be in open water when I might need a little bit heavier line or heavier equipment. So I, I always get away with the, especially when I'm ice fishing, I get away with the lightest line and the lightest weight for a slower fall that I can. Now when I'm fishing 70 or 80 foot deep, I'm probably going to use a quarter ounce jig head on very light line to get it to the bottom because that's where we're going to be fishing for these whitefish and to keep my bait there on the bottom. It's a lot easier to do with a little bit heavier weight. So just like anything else in fishing, Drew, you know, you're just using those tools and just applying them differently. When you're fishing 90 feet of water, what kind of a reaction is that? What I've got for my deep water setups, there's a, a company that I, I work with building my rods called American Tackle. And American Tackle um, has one, some of the best reel seats that are made out of compressed carbon fiber. What does that fancy term mean? It means that one, it's very light and it actually echoes or amplifies the sound of graphite. So in other words, when you fish before and you get a bite and you know it kind of almost feels like kind of like a tug on your sleeve, mm-hmm. this one is closer to a punch in the arm. Oh, wow. And the, the difference is, is because compressed carbon fiber magnifies that feel or that sensation of a bite. And so I'm building all my ice fishing rods, especially to fish deeper with that compressed carbon fiber, because that, and then I'm using braid, braid is a main line and braid has no stretch. It's extremely sensitive on a tight line. And then I'm going to a fluorocarbon leader, which also has less stretch and extremely sensitive so when you combine all that together if they swim by it chances are seriously you're probably going to feel it what's the delay i mean because you're 90 feet away is it instant it, it is pretty much and it's funny it's funny that you ask that because this year i started messing around with that hummingbird mega live and so i can literally see the fish come up to the bait you know and eat it oh yeah and just so you guys know i mean those units are expensive and i was very grateful that i'm fishing with one this year but the biggest thing that it showed me is when fish don't bite my bait that's frustrating <laughs> yeah. as hell, man. it's so amazing i mean 90 feet is a long way to travel Sure. On, on something like that, but to be able to feel it just like that just goes to show how technology has really enhanced the, the, the parts to the equipment. Oh, it's, it's, it's absolutely amazing where we've come, you know, just years and years ago when you, you and I first met, we were, I, you know, I was, the electronics I had in my boat then, we were happy when we had a flasher or when mm-hmm. we just got a graph, you know, and now, you know, I've got a graph that's more expensive than my 65 inch television screen. <laughs> it's ridiculous, yeah. but it's, that is how the game has changed. I, I just want your listeners to know that for a fact, and even though I, I work with Humminbird a little bit, just remember something. These help, all these electronics help, but I also want to make very clear that you still don't need these to become a better angler. Instincts are still your best bet, and these things make it fun. If you can afford it, great. If you can't, don't think you're not going to be able to catch fish because you are. You are. We caught fish before these things came out, and we'll catch fish after the next bunch of electronics come out. Just go fishing. There you go. That's what you'll get with Jim Crowley. Uh, Thank you so much, Jim. Now, you have uh, a show on Wired to Fish. How can people find you? Uh, Wired to Fish is on streaming stations. So the easiest way I can tell your listeners if they want to find it is go to Plex, which is a free app. You can download Plex, look for live TV. You'll find Wired to Fish TV. And my day, my show is on every day at 2 2 p.m. Pacific Standard Time, 4 p.m. Central Standard Time. Very cool. Of course, go to Jim Crowley Outdoors on all the social media and jimcrowleyoutdoors.com. Jimmy, it's always good to talk to you, and uh, I can't wait to see you again. Uh, Very same to you. God bless you, my good, good friend to you and all your listeners. Have a wonderful day.
Thanks, Jim. You can hit us online at the My Country 95.5 app or at MyCountry955.com. Listen to all of our episodes on demand. Another show in the books. Talk at you next week.